From Afters, in collaboration with FBI Radio, this is Radio Brain. In this episode, Sex on the Radio, with Bridie Tanner and James Findlay. If what you hear in this chat inspires you to take the next step on your own radio-making journey, you should check out the Afters Graduate Diploma of Radio on their website, aftrs.edu.au. Hello and welcome to Radio Brain Episode 4. My name is Bridie Tanner, host and producer on Triple J and ABC Local Radio. Today we're looking at taking taboo topics to the airwaves with breakfast producer at ABC Central Victoria, James Finlay. Hey, James. Hello. Thanks for having me. So I used to host a segment on FBI radio called Let's Talk About Sex, and it was all about breaking down the taboo of talking about things like dating, love, sex, kink, and everything in between on radio. We did this in the morning as well, which was a bit of a bit of a decision at the time. And I think it was quite an adjacent show, I suppose, to The Hookup, which you have been a producer on. So I want you to take us back to when you heard about the hookup producer role going at Triple J and tell us why you were keen to go for it. Uh, The first time I saw the hookup um, producer role advertised, the timing just wasn't right for me and I didn't want to move to Sydney and I just got a promotion at Joy when I was the program, I was a program director there. But also doing the hookup was something that I always kind of wanted to do. Uh, I started doing sex and relationships programs when I was in my early 20s, like when I was at SIN, the Student Youth Network in in Melbourne. So I started guesting on that program and everyone around the station was kind of saying, oh, you you talk about sex a lot. (laughs) You should come on the sex show. And so I put myself on the sex show and the time, the weeks that I was on there, we were just getting like a whole bunch of extra texts that weren't usually coming in. And so I applied to host the show permanently and I was the first like openly gay host or I guess first gay host of the program since its inception. So that was pretty exciting. And after some like time away overseas, I came back and I knew that I wanted to take this kind of career seriously so I went and did a, a master's in in public health and I majored in sexual health because I kind of just thought that it would be a lot more beneficial to the listeners and to the program if if I had some kind of formal training. So I always wanted to do a program like that. I wanted it to be on a national scale. I knew that Triple J should do something like that. And so when the, the job came up and the announcement was made that they were doing a sex and relationship show. I was, and it was the year that I finished doing my masters. I was like, okay, this is, this is pretty good timing. This is like kind of maybe meant to be. And then six months later, after I applied for it the first time, they got in contact with me because the, the producer was moving on to another program, moved to hack and they were looking for someone else to do the show. So they approached me, I applied for the role and yeah, the rest I guess is kind of history. What would you say your sort of mission statement was when you joined the hookup? What did you want to achieve with it? Uh, I, I wanted the show to be informative, entertaining and educational. Mm. When I was doing my master's, I actually did a PhD protocol, like a mini thesis kind of thing on how mass media could be used for sexual health entertainment. And through all the research that's already been done, I found that Radio was the perfect medium for sex and relationships education for mass media because radio is beautifully intimate because 
you know, when you're listening to the radio, if the presenter's doing a good job, it just feels like that it's you and the presenter, right? Or the guest. You can engage with the program anonymously. Even if you're calling up, you can say that you're from any town. The chances of someone picking up who you are or recognizing, identifying you is pretty low. So I wanted to make the show those those things, informative, entertaining, educational. It needed to be fun without being gratuitous. Also, it needed to really represent the voice of, of Australian young people. And it, that was also quite a challenge at times because, you know, it, it's, it would be really easy to go down a really sex posy like niche vibe for the show but it's I didn't think it was would be representative of um the listeners of the the station and I think it would have alienated a lot of people as well so I wanted the listener to think that even if one topic wasn't their thing then the next one might be and you know I guess that's you know part of the whole secret around increasing your TSL or your time spent listening for the, for the listener because if there was something coming up that you that they think will be for them, then, yeah, I, that's why I kind of thought it was really important to make sure that you had a range of different topics for different people because, yeah, it, it needed to reflect um, your listener. And not only, like, reflect the listener, but, like, the content that we made needed to be diverse in a way that it needed to re- kind of reflect the listeners that we wanted as well. So, uh, yeah, that was that was also important. Definitely. Now, this is, if you can help, I think, me and every other radio maker with this question, uh, you'll be doing the Lord's work. It's <laughs> how, how do you get people to share stories that are of such an intimate, personal nature on national radio? I know you were saying earlier that it is kind of anonymous. You can give a different name. But isn't it hard calling out like what's a time that you've used a strap on dildo and and just sort of hoping that someone is keen enough to share that experience? What what are your tips for getting people to call and text in with their stories and come on air? Yeah, look, this is hard and it's much harder than it sounds. Approachability is huge. So it's important that that you're authentic and that you're approachable. I think they're the main points that I would say would help someone call up because they, people are going to call up and tell a story to someone that they trust mm. and they trust the, that you're not going to shame them or you're not going to, I don't know, challenge them too much, uh, you know, challenge your listeners sometimes, but, you know, there are boundaries. The other thing I, I would say is it's important for a host in a show like The Hookup or any kind of sex personal show to be able to give themselves a bit as well. And that that comes from the authenticity. If you're able to be, to share a bit of yourself in a way that doesn't kind of, doesn't take over the show, like it, you don't want a show that's all me, 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 me. But if you're able to give yourself over a little, I think that gives the listener an opportunity to to know you a bit more because if they know you then they're more likely to tell you about that time that I don't know they were fisted or whatever you know uh let's do a little exercise right now are you one to call people back who've texted in yes 
So let's just say my name's Kimberly. I'm from Lismore and I've just texted in this great text about how I think I might be asexual and I, I want to get some more information on it, but I don't know where to go. So you, you give me a call back and let's, let's run through how you would G up someone who was otherwise maybe keen to just text in and leave it as a text to convincing them to come and share that story because it sounds so much better. Uh, absolutely. Yes. Well, like at local radio, absolutely. I will call and try and get them to go through. But with the hookup, it was a little bit different because if they were calling for the hookup, no, if they were texting for the hookup, there's a good chance that they might not want to talk. But to answer your question, it would be like, I'd say something like, hey, it's James here from the ABC. Um, I've got your text. And then usually they'll be like, oh, yeah. Because, yeah. Oh, that's the other thing. At Triple J, no one. No one under 30 answers their phone if it's a private number or a number that they don't know. Yeah, yeah. So our system at um, the ABC, you can text them back. Mm-hmm. So I would click and I would say, hey, and I did this with Good Nights too. I'm like, hey, I'm about to call you about the text you sent. Yeah. And then usually if they don't want to talk, they'll text back. They're like, no, please don't call me. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's that gone. Um, and then so if they, if they reply, it's like, yeah, okay. Mm. Um, then they already kind of know that you're going to be talking to them and and you're probably going to want them to go on the radio. You know what I mean? Mm, mm. So it's about like, yeah, with the Triple J audience, it's about getting them ready that you're going to call them in the first place because people under 30 hate talking on the phone. Yep. And they don't answer the phone for a number that they don't know. So, yeah, it's about doing that first. And then once you've got them on the phone, so I would say, hey, I got your text. Um, so say it was that asexual. Hey, when did you find out that you're asexual? So I would go through and I would ask the questions that I would get the host to ask. Right, right. I'm like, oh, cool. Like, how did you work that out? Or like, and how's it been like telling your friends? Oh, and have you done this? Oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. And then I would write notes on the screen, like somewhere else where the host hadn't seen them yet because you don't want them looking at the screen going, oh, and now we're going to this call. I was like, no, 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 wait, yeah. (laughs) So yeah, and then it was like, great. Like, I'd love you to chat with the host. Uh, would you be up for that? And then be like, oh, yeah, it's like, cool, cool, cool. We're just going to ask you all the same questions that I just asked you. So don't be worried about that. We're not going to throw you any curveballs. And there's like, oh, okay, cool. And then you just put them on hold. Yeah, I, I think does, that, does that help? I think that helps a lot. And I think there's there's so much actually in that we could unpack, but maybe for a different chat about talk back. Uh, especially saying like, we saw your text, we loved it. You know, we really want to talk to you sort of making people feel like, oh, I did something good, you know? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Some people text in not thinking that it'll ever be read out and then, you know, they'll get a kick out of hearing their name on the radio or whatever Mm. or their text read out. But then to go to that next level and say, oh, but they actually want to talk to me. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. You know? Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about ethical and editorial dilemmas that come up with this kind of work, the hookup, other sex-based radio programming. It's spicy stuff. Are you one to lean into that danger zone or take more caution? And why is that? Uh, Yeah, no, I lean in. The thing is um, I've never held back with anything that I've, like nothing that I suggested at Triple J, no topics at all, did my boss go, no. There are plenty of times where he said, what do you mean, is that a thing? (laughs) And I'm like, well, yes, it is. Otherwise I wouldn't be bringing it up. (laughs) Um, 
Ollie and I, Ollie, my boss, and I were always in the same mind that um, it was important to do this content, but it was important to do it with respect and uh, not to do it just for doing it. Uh, so, you know, not for talking about sex because it's funny mm. or because it's taboo, you know, or, oh, we shouldn't be talking about this. Um, because I think making it sound like it's naughty all the time kind of then makes it sound like it is when it isn't, you know, mm. to some people it is. But I don't know, none of this none of this shit was weird for me, you know? I'd been doing sex radio shows since I was, you know, 20 and I'd like studied it at a postgrad level. Like it was I think approaching it in that way of no, it's it's not weird. This is just what it is. Um I think really put the the tone of the show on a level that made it always okay, you know? The only risky times are when you're talking about sexual assault or mm. rape. And, you know, and we covered those topics, but, you know, my case studies we would do prereqs with. And so if there was anything that you felt uncomfortable airing, you just, you you read it out. But that was never really the case, you know. Mm. Uh, and with callers, I would screen the callers. And so I only put people to wear that I knew were comfortable talking as a producer, you were that gateway between the show being a safe space and it being in risky territory that could jeopardise the organisation. Have you ever had to hit dump on the hookup? Yeah, we had, we, yes, in my entire time, like two and a bit years at the hookup, we hit the dump button once and it was because a guest defame someone like it was that was it like it wasn't because of a caller it wasn't because like anything was said like that they like it was it was a guest on the show who should have known better that defamed someone so we just hit dump and like moved on yeah and I think when you're talking about things in this way you you set the tone for the like the callers as well. Like they know what they're allowed to say and what they're not allowed to say. There are certain words that we could say and certain words we couldn't say. As long as the words were in context, then you're not you're not breaking any of the codes of practice. I guess the perfect example of that is, you know, you couldn't say fuck you, but you could say, oh, um, he fucked me. Right. You know? I didn't know I didn't know that. <laughs> I would be I'd be I'd I'd have no idea what to do in that situation. As a producer. <laughs> That's what we did at Joy. You know, when, and the thing is, the other thing that you've got to remember is when you're creating radio for that, for your audience, you need to use language that your audience is familiar with, uses and can connect with, you know? Mm. Especially across demographics like in a in a city, Northcote uh, listeners and regional listeners, there there's going to be so much language that is different you know, how, how you say rooting, like how you say we rooted is going to be different. Yeah. But everyone, <laughs> everyone fucks. So <laughs> it is the great equalizer. <laughs> um, uh, I want to just, just staying on editorial stuff for a second here, because this is one that I sort of would get tripped up on and didn't really have much advice to go off. What did you do about people's privacy and sensitivity? Because, if someone calls up and says, oh, my boyfriend cheated on me, are, are we not putting that person's privacy 
at risk and putting their story to air, they might even, you know, they might hear it. They might not even know that call was going to air. How do you handle that sort of thing? Yeah, I would allow people to change their names and change their towns, mm. um, especially, you know, like LGBT people in mm. regional areas. Um, I'd change their towns. I'd even change their states sometimes because these people would be sometimes risking their livelihoods yeah, um, or, you know, risking losing their family if someone found out. So, yeah, there was definitely times where I just allowed them to change their name and their state. And, like, a lot of the time they would change the names themselves, to be honest. Right. And because they didn't want to be identified. And, like, I wouldn't know. Mm. As long as their story's correct, like, that's that's the most important thing. Mm. Your role as a producer is to make sure that what's going to wear is authentic. And there are definitely times that you'd get callers that were just trying to take the piss. So so it was mostly it was mostly dudes that would call up and they, I don't know, if it was like a public holiday then on the Monday or something, you'd know that it was going to be a rough show on Sunday night because people would be, you know, sitting around a fire drinking beers and, you know, of course people want to get on the sex show and take the piss. But I remember this one time this guy called up and he said something like, I want to come on and talk about being gay. I'm like, okay, cool. He's, I was like, what did you want to say about it? He said, oh, I just want to say that it's, um, you know, it's really hard because um, I'm in the country and, uh, yeah, it's just really hard being gay. I'm like, all right. And I'm like, I, I could just tell that there was something going on in his voice that just wasn't right. And so I kept questioning. And I said something like, oh, when did you realize that you were gay? He's like, oh, just always. I just liked heaps gay things. And I said something <laughs> okay. like, oh, okay, so what kind of gay things do you like? He's like, oh, um, you know, like, um, I don't know, musicals and that movie <laughs> with the buster, fucking, I don't know, Alice Springs. Fuck, I can't do this. And then, like, you hear all the boys in the background, like, pissing themselves laughing and uh, they'd be like, oh, yeah, fuck, sorry, man. Like, oh, I love the show though. And it's like, oh, great. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it was really important to like ask the questions because you had to filter through that shit. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a really good tip as well is just like they, I think they just sort of realise is this, is this not, is this even worth it? Like, is it as funny as it seems? Or are yeah, we just exactly, sort of yeah. making someone's job kind of difficult? <laughs> yeah. And, and then, and then, you know, and if they go through, then it's, um, you know, it, it kind of changes the tone of the show and it, and it can de- derail it sometimes. So mm. I wanted to go back to before the hookup, when you're a programming director, like this just blows my mind. Uh, that you've done so many different roles in a radio station. And there's a lot of crossover skills from producing to presenting. If you've been a producer and you become a presenter, you know what it's like on the other side. And if you've been a presenter and you become a producer, you know what the presenter needs to do their best job. So what skills did you bring across from program director to producer? What was that transition like as well? It was... (laughs) Look, uh, so I you've you've worked in a community, well, you, you've done community radio, so you know, like, the amount of pressure that, mm. you know, staff are under. It was, you know, I, I was managing, like, 200 volunteers. It was, it was huge and it was a lot of radio and there were a lot of presenters and there were a lot of personalities. <laughs> in radio? So, <laughs> especially in LGBTI radio. Probably I tell you that right now. Um, and, you know, love them to bits. I love them to bits and I miss them a lot. And I did, well, the hardest thing was losing my community, to tell you the truth. Yeah. That was really hard 
because I went from somewhere that was such um, an inclusive kind of space where we were fighting for, you know, whatever causes and making a safe space for like-minded people and sharing people's stories like that, like going to a straight workplace and like I hadn't worked in a straight workplace, but I, I call it a straight workplace. And, you know, because the, I was like one of the only gays in the like in the village there. Mm. Yeah, it was losing my community was the hardest. Mm. But there were so many skills that I could take because I like and primarily one of them would be being able to direct. So I had a lot of experience like giving air checks and, you know, coaching presenters who didn't have much experience, you know, because community radio Mm. and you need those skills as a producer. So Mm. you can't be afraid of telling your presenter how, you know, better to do things or how they did things well, because without, if you're not, if you can't do that, then you're not, you're not doing your job. And, you know, presenters can be delicate people, you know, their their personalities. And so it's important that you know how to work with your presenter as a producer mm. and how you're going to get the best out of them. Because at the end of the day, that's the most important thing, that your presenter is doing the best they can. And for you to be able to help them do that, then they need to trust you and they need to, you need to be able to get them to respond to the advice you're giving, you know? Mm. And I think, yeah, as you said, having that experience at the top of a, you know, directing an entire station would equip you so well to directing a presenter with how they could sound a bit better. Uh, Let's move on because I feel like that's a whole other conversation in itself. And there's a few more things (laughs) I want to ask you about before we wrap up. Presenting versus producing versus programming. Did you find pressure from any of the stations you worked at or people you work with to pick a lane and stick to it? Uh, I definitely had managers in the past who were like, no, 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 you're a producer, you only produce, do not do anything else. Mm. But, you know, since I've left those jobs, I've had other bosses who have said, oh, great, I'm hiring you because I know that you can present and I want you to produce but I want you to be a presenter after, you mm, know? Mm. I think it's important to be able to be versatile, especially in, like, the media landscape today where having to learn so many different skills and it's important that you can do a range of them as best you can. Otherwise, someone with more skills is going to take your job one day, mm. you know? <laughs> and so <Yeah. laughs> there have been people that have told me to stay in my lane and I did I stay in my lane? No. No, I didn't. And am I glad I didn't? Yes, I am. Um, You, just having a quick lurk of your LinkedIn page, you have been a casual worker for the ABC. I've found conversations with other young ABC employees that there's a bit of this sort of casualisation of the workplace and people sort of have to really gun for a contract if you're a producer in an office, like you're getting moved around from show to show. Do you have any tips for people who might feel as though they're kind of doing a full-time job, but they're being classified as a casual worker? Yeah. Talk to your union, (laughs) join the union and talk to your union. (laughs) Yeah. 
I like when I was at Triple J, I was on year to year contracts. And so every year, a whole bunch of us were like, oh my God, are we going to get a job next year? I was doing stuff at local while I was at Triple J because the hookup was only, you know, a three-day-a-week job. So I was doing stuff at ABC Sydney. And then when I moved to Melbourne, I was doing stuff at ABC Melbourne. So, yeah, get yourself across as many outlets, stations that you can. Try and get as much work as you can and have your people know that you can do that amount of things. But if you've been on the same contract for uh, a few years in a row, talk to your union. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I can say. Is it true, this is something I've heard a bit of, that they say, oh, well, what you need to do is you need to move regional and then you can work your way back into the metro stations. Or should young guns just get it, like who are in Sydney or Melbourne or another city, just work really hard internally to try and climb the ranks? Nah, I so I'm in a regional now and I'll tell you what, like the amount of opportunities you'll get in regional they're not going to be opportunities that you get in the city. Like, sure, you might be working on prestigious programs in a metro, but no, take those opportunities in the regionals. Like, I've never, ever spoken to an ABC employee that has regretted their time in a reg. Like, everyone has loved it. And I tell you what, like, I've been here a month, six weeks or whatever. I love it. I love it. Like, when I my contract wasn't renewed for good nights because of, you know, budget cuts. I thought that I would never find a job that I would love again. And now six months later, I realize like how dumb that was. (laughs) Like I'm having so much fun. You get like so many more opportunities. It's, it's, it's amazing. I would highly recommend it. Like so many of those amazing ABC producers and presenters that you know and love spent time in the regs. Like, go and do it. And the other thing is, like, there's a lot more chance of, like, keeping a job in the regs too. Mm. Like, those metros are getting slashed and the chance of coming across a permanent, like, an ongoing role in a a metro is pretty damn slim to that right now. Um, I romanticise working at a regs, a regional station quite a bit, I think. And I, I'm always, I've always got my eye on, you know, what jobs are coming up out, out there, out there that's yeah. everywhere that's not Ultimo. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> what's it been like for you moving to central Victoria? Are you a city um, kid growing up and, and what's the move been like? You know, so I was born in Melbourne, but I, I grew up on the south coast. And then moved back to Melbourne when I was 18 to go to uni. So I I know what it's like living in a, a regional area, but I've spent all my adult life in a city. And so I always knew that I wanted to live in a regional area at some point, like probably Ballarat or Bendigo, to be honest, because, you know, there are theatres here and there are galleries and there are wineries. <laughs> it's nice. Um, I just didn't think it would be this time in my life, but I'm I'm here and I love it. Like, it's a beautiful city. They call it a city. It's a regional city. So I'm finding the transition quite easy, to be honest. Also, like, it's really nice change of my life after, you know, losing that contract and my family's house burnt down at the bushfires. So oh it was like, yeah, and then, you know, the coronavirus. So it's been a really nice time to kind of get out of the city and kind of, you know, hit the reset button. 
Yeah. And, and good on you for throwing yourself into a new place in such a hectic time, but I'm sure you're just making the absolute most of it, getting out there, learning about the community and just making an absolute cracker breakfast program. So huge congratulations to you. Thank you so much, Brady. It's very kind of you to say. (laughs) Um, James Finlay, thanks for joining me for Radio Brain. Thanks for having me. Radio Brain is produced by FBI Radio for Afters, Australia's premier screen and broadcast school. Applications for the Graduate Diploma in Radio are now open. Visit aftrs.edu.au to apply. This episode was produced by Bridie Tanner and me, Ryan Pemberton. Our artwork is by Karina Azlikhan, music from Sound of Picture. Thanks for listening.